Again, this morning's scripture is in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 through 20. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent and as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Okay, the first sermon was free, but this one will cost you. So let's open up and we're going to finish this morning after 30 weeks or so in, in the book of Romans. We're finishing up this week. So this is the last uh, last sermon in this series. Next week, we'll be celebrating uh, our daughter's, the wedding we didn't get to attend. So we're, uh, we're celebrating a uh, renewal of vows next week. But uh, one of our elders is going to share, and I'm super excited about what God is going to do through him. Surprise mystery guest. You'll have to come and figure out. Um, and then we're going to tackle the book of Amos after that. If you want to read ahead, we're going to have some fun in Amos. Um, this Romans is a letter. It's a personal letter. Okay. And nowhere is that more clear than in this closing section. If you read all of Romans 16, Tiffany read just a few verses in it, but it's just like when you write a letter and you said like, Hey, Aunt Susie says hi, and, uh, you know, please give my greeting to Cousin Leonard or whatever. It's that personal, and verse after verse, just to sort of give you a sense from the, he closes starting in uh, Romans 15, verse 30, and uh, after he said, hey, I'm going to come visit, I'm going to be in Rome soon, I'm headed to Spain, but I'm going to stop in for a while with you guys, and then he uh Discuss, he asks, please pray for me, pray for my safe travels. Again, it's a very personal thing. Then he commends Phoebe, uh, uh, one individual woman who is called a deaconess, which has given people fits for the years. As to, was this person just a servant or a, had a role of leadership in the church? Uh, then he lists a lot of people that he's wanting to greet, that he knows in the church. And it just says, this is... Paul knew and had a relationship with people at that church in Rome. And then what Tiffany read, he's, he talks about he's going giving a final sort of appeal and exhortation for that about people who cause divisions and then a few more greetings and then he closes with this grand doxology. So trying to apply personal letter to your life can be a little challenging. But I think there are some couple of things that we can glean from this that are actually really good. So first, my take my takeaways from from this. There's a grand diversity in this church in Rome. There's a great diversity in a time when women were not valued. Nine of the greetings of these were to women. Some were in leadership positions. Priscilla. Uh, is mentioned as one of the house church leaders along with her husband. Phoebe, as I mentioned before, is probably the one who brought the letter and that she is saying she's worthy, welcome her. 
So men and women both, it's written to Jew and Gentile. We, it's hard for us to remember the divide that that was, but this church contained both. It contained people who were well-to-do, people, it says, who were heads of estates, heads of households, maybe your word reads, but it's people who were well-off and people who weren't, that the church should reflect the diversity of the community as it did in Rome. One of the things we should keep asking ourselves is, does our church reflect the community, uh, diversity of our community? In some ways, yes, and in some ways, no. One of my prayers is that the church would reflect our community. And it's complicated, but that is something that we should be striving for. Second thing, verse 16, look at Romans chapter 16, verse 17, what Tiffany read. I appeal to you, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. We'll go back to the previous section. It's something I forgot that I didn't want to say because <clears throat> this comes later in it, but it's part of this whole greetings thing. Uh, these are real people. It's hard for us to remember because many of the names of these are lost. They're, they're mentioned maybe once in all of Scripture. But I do want to, it's interesting, it was interesting to me as I was researching in, for this uh, message, is that in verse 23, it says, Erastus, the city man, treasurer, this was written from Corinth, Paul was in Corinth when he wrote the letter, Erastus, the city treasurer, greets you. Small thing, right, just a personal letter thing. In Corinth, they found a stone Written, uh, and my, my ancient Greek's not so good, but if you can bring up the picture of this stone, as they were excavating, and basically what this says in the, it says, Erastus, the city treasurer, paid for these streets. The way the public works would have run. And people think this, he mentions the, the same word that is used, Erastus was here. Anyway, I thought it was just really interesting that as they excavated this, they found the name of this person who said, I was the bursar. I was a city treasurer in here. I paid for this road. And Paul says, this guy greets you. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting. All right. Watch out for those who cause divisions, back to verse 17, and create obstacles contrary. Such people don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Back then, there were people, Paul closed this letter warning the church at Rome about people who weren't apparently in the church at the time, but he knew were going to come, who were going to try to teach what wasn't in the scriptures. Specifically in the book of Galatians, we have uh, a record of people who were trying to teach the uh, that you needed to become uh, Jewish in your customs in order to be a Christian. And Paul stood strongly against that. He was warning them of the non-biblical teaching that was coming. That is as true today as it was then. We have access, unparalleled access to messages. You could go right now and look up how many tens of thousands of messages on the Internet of um, articles and sermons and you can hear them preached or whatever. 
I would just like to echo what Paul says. Watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. So here's how I stay alert to this, because how do you know? One of the things we learn from this is that these people are likely very effective and eloquent speakers. Look what he says. By smooth talk and flattery, that word smooth talk would mean eloquence of speech. They really sound good. But you can deceive the hearts of those who are not walking closely with the truth. Well, how do you know? If they sound so good, how do you know? So first, we learn that these people serve themselves, it says in verse 17, rather than, or verse 18, rather than Christ. They're looking for opportunities to promote a certain brand, a certain style, rather than promoting God's word in unadulterated form. Be really cautious when someone's teaching the same message, one message over and over and over. They basically have one song to sing. The Bible is, and it's not scripture. It's their take, their, they, and I, I, I trust you all know what I'm talking about is that people who simply have one, they always find in any scripture their take, their perspective on it, and it's just the same thing over and over and over. Be cautious. I'm not saying necessarily what they're saying is wrong, but I would take caution with that. They serve themselves or their perspective rather than the overall gospel, the overall message of God's word. It says these people cause, in verse 17, they cause divisions and create obstacles. So um, that's very proactive. You're causing and creating these things. And the word there where it says obstacles, the word scandalon, it's a word used in Scripture, and it, it specifically refers to when you have a trap, an old-fashioned trap where there's a stick, and like the animal would hit the stick and then the box would fall over the animal, the stick is called a scandalon. That would have been the Greek word for it. Scandal is where we get our word, and we've developed the word stumbling stone, and stumbling stone translates as scandal. And so it says they're going to put in your way stumbling stones to finding the truth. Well, what's interesting is that scandalon most times in the New Testament refers to Jesus. If you want an example of that, of one, Romans 9.33, if you want to go back a few pages or swipes on your phone, Romans 9.33, I'll go to 32, it says, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. They've stumbled over the scandalon. This is the unbelievers, unbelieving Jews. As it is written, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, but whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Everybody's going to stumble over something coming to the Lord. It's, it's, there is something that you have got to believe that's a leap of faith question is, are you, are we going to present Jesus or are we going to present something else that's going to be a stumbling stone that will lead them away from the Lord? So when you listen to people, the challenge should be and the difficulty should be, am I going to get to Jesus at the end of this? Or what, I, what I'm getting to is some 
doctrinal something where Jesus is peripheral. There's a stumbling stone somewhere. It should be we stumble over the Lord because it says when we stumble over him, he catches us. He is with us. He won't crush us. The other thing we should look at is in verse uh, 18, it says they don't teach sound doctrine, but they use their giftedness to serve their own appetites. And typically, I would think that's money and influence. I'd be very I'd be cautious of people who are building their own platform and influence or have such a financial interest in it. Now, sometimes it's hard to tell. We're so separated, we can't know people. That's one of the difficulties is that we can't see, I can't see into the lives of people that I know. But to the best of my ability, I want to know that they're walking in the truth and that their lives reflect what they're saying. And finally, and this is just an overall word, many in ministry, and I'll include myself in this, those who are leaders in ministry, pastors, preachers, teachers, all that, many of us suffer from this uh, disease, which is wanting to be liked and affirmed and people-pleasing. That is... It's just one of the failings you'll find in ministers. And one of the things is that people will sometimes say things, maybe intentionally, maybe unintentionally, because they want approval. And we have to just be clinging to God's word. The only thing that is not going to move, the only objective tool we have to truth is God's word. And we've got to wrestle with the meanings and wrestle with what it actually says, not what we wish it said. And if we're looking for approval of culture or approval of an individual in an organization or a church, we're going to get off track. And so when we're listening to people, we just want to make sure that as, as plausible and as right as it sounds, they can make heresy sound. Are we clinging to the truth of what God said, the simplicity of the gospel? So that was Paul's, and interestingly enough, it's not, he doesn't really talk about this throughout Romans, but he wanted to warn them prior to his coming, be aware, this will pop up, this will be there. Then he says, in, in answer, this is a tag on, how do you, how do you stop this? How do you prevent this? In verse 19, it says, I know your obedience is known to all, so I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise, to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. To me, that sounds a lot like the simplicity of knowing what's right and wrong, and very simply, we cling to what is good and right and true. At the end of the day, that's what's going to carry the day, not being clever. It's going to be clinging to what is true. Um, you know, I talked about disappointments early uh, earlier on, and uh, Friday, after Thursday having that phone call, Friday, some of you may know that Tim Keller died. He was a prominent uh, Presbyterian pastor who has a very wide teaching and book ministry, and I and, and some of you all followed him or whatever. And um, I, looking at someone who I believe taught truly, taught God's word for the glory of the Lord, whether it's your style or not, I always admired that Jesus ended up as a focus at the end of the day. And as I learned of his death, it was a sadness. You know, we all die, uh, at least so far. We're pretty, you know, approaching 100% death rate, um, except Jesus, right? 
And as I, as I learned his death, my prayer was, as I said, Oh, that's so sad. I thought, Lord, help me finish well because I want you to stumble over Jesus at the end of the day. And if you stumble over me and my words and, and I'm some doctrinal persuasion, Lord, help me. But if in my life, like I hope is was true in Tim Keller's life, we stumble over Jesus at the end of the day, there's a, a great rejoicing at the end of this life. So, three things to glean from this letter. First one, the diversity found in the church. Second one, that we got to be really careful to listen to people who are preaching Christ and God's word as it stands, not as we wish it stood. And finally this, and this is the doxology at the end of this letter. We read to the last three verses of the book of Romans, and we'll close with this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God to glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's how he closes it. And basically these last three verses kind of bookend how Paul started this letter. So if you go back to Romans chapter 1, I just want to compare briefly in Romans chapter 1, what he says in verse 3. says, this letter from Paul concerns the Son, that's S-O-N, Jesus, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. Again, he goes back. My gospel in the very verse 25 of Romans 16, strengthen you according to my gospel, according to the preaching about Jesus Christ. Beginning first and last, said Paul, this is about what Jesus has done. And then he says, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages. That word's very important in, in the New Testament, the word mysterion. It's a cognate of mystery. For many at that time, there was this sort of nation and that if you knew the mystery, you should keep it quiet. That there were people who were uh, these Gnostics who were initiated and they knew like the secret password. And that was how mystery was understood. And it was only for the elite and Paul says, no, no. It's just like, you know, when you, any of y'all like to read mysteries, a good mystery? Well, one of the things that's good about it is when, when, when the secret unlocks to a really good mystery, the whole plot makes sense. Every, oh, oh I get it now. The, you know, the secret identity is revealed, you know, no, you're not really my cousin, you were my mother, or whatever. And you're like, oh, now I get it. And the thing Paul says is you're supposed it's there's a, you're supposed to be the biggest spoiler alert ever. You're supposed to tell people the mystery. That when you learn the mystery, you tell people the mystery. And Paul says, My job was to let the mystery be made known. 
often as Christians, somehow we don't want to tell the mystery because we think it won't be believed. It's too strange a plot. No, God did come to earth as a person. He came to be just like us. He understands every disappointment that I have and every weakness. He understands your fear. He doesn't condemn you. This is the mystery that Jesus Christ is real, is who he said he is, died as a person, risen again as God in human form forever, able to save, able to redeem, able to turn disappointments into good. The mystery has been revealed. It's known. We've, it's our job. It's Paul's job. He says, my job was to make it known to the Gentiles. Our job is to make it known to anyone we come in contact with that it's true. It's all true. In verse Romans 1, verse, we'll close, close with this thought, Romans 1, verse 18, note 17. I'll start with 16. I'm not ashamed by the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is the righteousness of God. It's revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Salvation is God's power to give you a firm foundation. And then at the very end of the book, verse 25, now to him who is able to strengthen you, that word strengthen is the word dynamo, he's able, gives you dynamic power. He's able to strengthen you. He's able to give you a firm foundation. Life shift, life can be shifting sand. Life can be really hard. And Paul's word to us is that there's one foundation that's going to last. There's one power to salvation. There's one power to change us. And it's when we will trust that God is who he said he is and that he's real and that Jesus is God in the flesh and our ability to come to him through Jesus will give you a firm foundation when the fear and the anxiety and, and the shakiness of life or in death would begin to tempt us. He is real. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for this book of Romans. I thank you for the magnificent picture it gives us of the story of fall and salvation, of God coming and His plan to the Jew and then to the Gentile, of God's sovereign grace to reach out to us when we couldn't reach out to Him, of the plan to change us into people who would be more like you as we're, our, our characters are being refined and renewed. Lord, would you come and, and convince our hearts when we're disappointed, when we're doubting? Would you come and make your reality known to us in a way that only you can, because you know how we're wired? So make it real, Lord, as we wait for you to come again. Lord, while we live in this in-between time, make yourself known. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Stand with me, please, and we'll close.